This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey, welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. And we got a lot of different ways to do it. Of course, all your favorite podcast gimmicks were available through there, including recently, I uh, saw this yesterday, Google Podcast finally has the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And as a proud Android user, I'm happy about that. But without further ado, let's get down to brass tags here. What's causing all this with the three count. I think we got to start off with the biggest news of them all. Andrade, released by the WWE, and about an hour after Fastlane wrapped up, the WWE sent out their typical tweet saying that they wish Andrade hit the best in his future endeavors. It was about a week ago that the word started getting around that Andrade had requested his release from WWE. This came after months of being off television, and reports that Vince McMahon did not see anything in him. His being in a relationship with Charlotte Flair, one of the top stars on the roster, did no favors for him, and even the Wrestling Observer reported she had pushed for TV storylines, including him. It did him no favors. It didn't help his status in the company, and eventually he asked for his release. Originally, it was said he was denied his release, but lo and behold, that has since changed. Now he's no longer with the WWE, and speaking of the Wrestling Observer, the crew over there reports that he is going to be able to take bookings as soon as humanly possible. So, yeah, you could very well see him before too long taking on anybody from Ring of Honor, New Japan, even AEW. It's the big question. What's going to happen? Andrade has reportedly filed trademarks for his old ring name before he joined the WWE, La Sombra. Obviously, he won't be able to wear the mask anymore, but La Sombra could very well fit well in New Japan, Mexico, but I think Ring of Honor is going to be the first place that he lands in my mind because I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be pairing up with Rouge or maybe even doing a program saying that you know he helped build the Los Ingobernables de Japón or better the, the original Los Ingobernables and it's kind of devolved into its own little thing. I feel like that's the step in the right direction for this group that they add Andrade in there because Rouge, I think honestly he's he's been up and down as a world champion for me and I would love to see if we see Andrade take part in ROH 19th anniversary. I know that's coming up very soon, and it seems highly unlikely, but it's at least something that we got to dream about. One of the big things that popped up over the weekend is Kylie Ray coming out of retirement. Several months ago, the former AEW and Impact Wrestling performer officially announced her retirement from professional wrestling in 2020 and then deleted all her social media accounts. Not long after she failed to it, here at Impact Wrestling's big pay-per-view of the year, their WrestleMania bound for glory. Fast forward to now about seven months later, and she is coming out of retirement for a match against Thunder Rosa. This will be on Fight TV June 9th as part of Warrior Wrestling. They're returning. The stadium series was widely successful. Definitely a good move on their part to be able to do that during the pandemic and do it safely. But yeah, you'll see Kylie Ray coming out of retirement. Surprised at that, I think is an understatement. Hopefully she is getting, you know, her mental health in check because it was something that she was dealing with for a while. But again, this fight, this match will take place on Fight TV. Thunder Rosa continuing to put out some really good performances. I'm sure she'll do just as well with Kylie Ray in her in-ring return on June the 9th. 
And a final bit of news, not necessarily news, but just interesting, because Stephanie McMahon mentioned an idea of what WWE might look like when Vince McMahon steps down. And she's been doing a lot of media rounds over the last week. The launch of the WWE Hub on Peacock, it's been an interesting launch. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more when I get to Fastlane a little bit. We're talking Fastlane, AEW Dynamite, and the St. Patrick's Day Smash and how great that was. Also, we'll get into some UFC talk to wrap up the show. And then it involves Khabib Nurmagomedov. And also, I'll get to some more Thunder Rosa with NWA back for the tack last night, which was pretty darn good, if I do say so myself. But again, it's been an interesting launch with the Peacock. And one interview that stood out to me was a conversation she had with Bloomberg Business of Sports. Because it turned to the future of the WWE before things going down. And it was absolutely amazing just to see how much this was talked about in detail. She said, quote, I do think a lot of the institutional knowledge is important, particularly with the regards towards core content, according to Stephanie McMahon, and says it's also surrounding your business with strong, smart executives. That's exactly what we have. So I do think it's a marriage of institutional knowledge, which they have, the incredible production value, maybe getting rid of Kevin Dunn could be a step in the right direction. At least it's just my kind of editorializing of it. The creation of the latest of talent IP and storylines, also really strong business executives to help us expand. I think it's a combination of things, in quote. She also goes on to say, I don't think there will ever be a person-to-person replacement for Vince McMahon. He does too much. The landscape will look different, however, it shakes out. She closes by saying, but I think it's a marriage of those things. And I have to agree with that take a lot, because when you look at what Vince McMahon does, he does so many things and handles not only the day-to-day aspect, but also handles every single bit of creative. Everything gets filtered through him. Now, I'm hoping, you know, once Vince McMahon does step away, I think the expectation is that that dynamic changes. Maybe it does go more towards an AEW-esque kind of setup where it's more of a freedom of thought, an economy of thought, where basically everybody gets to pitch in their ideas, no matter how stupid or zany they are, and then They'll look at it and be like, okay, this is a good idea. This is crap. And they'll kind of move on from there. I think that's the step in the right direction when it comes to what the WWE wants to do going forward. And this will be a lot of fun to see. So, yeah, give me Stephanie McMahon's take on this. It was really good as part of an interview with Bloomberg Business of Sports. All right, let's get into St. Patrick's Day Slam edition of Dynamite. It was Interesting to say the least from Jump Street. We start off with Cody Rhodes taking on Penta El Cerro Miero. And Penta immediately went for a plancha on Cody on the entranceway to recap kind of how the feud has gotten started. And boy, oh boy, I did not like the fact they had these like puke green shirts. It reminded me of the slime that was dumped on Braun Strowman last Monday on Raw, which I won't talk about much because boy, oh boy, I don't have enough time to really get to my full thoughts on what was an underwhelming Raw for the most part. Then we get to, you know, it was a really cool top rope hurricane rod by Cody. I never really saw him do something like that. But also, it felt like at certain times in the match, he was going kind of half speed. And there was a, a at one point, it was a tope suicida that wound up going into the guardrail was a prime example of that. It felt like when he was running, he wasn't quite going full speed. And obviously, you know, it's a small gap between the ring and the guardrail. Smaller gap. I can understand why he went half speed, but you noticed it a lot in certain moments. Even him, you know, 
hitting a Canadian destroyer. Again, a moment I did not see coming, and you know he hit a Cody Cutter in quick succession. Really good stuff from these two. Really good match. But then came the finish. And I've always had my like thoughts on Cody Rhodes and how he's great wrestler. He's done pretty decent in the booking realm, as evidenced with AEW and what he's been able to do with guys like Brody Lee and building up Darby Allen. But these are kind of the moments where I'm like, okay, why are we doing this? Why is this happening? Because of the finish. It made Penta look like a little bit of a geek because Penta basically hit him with the shoulder lock, and that should have won the match. That usually is going to win like 9 out of 10 matches that Penta and Cero Miedo puts together. That isn't what we saw. We saw Penta do a little taunting, and then he gets rolled up for the win by Cody Rhodes, who essentially no-sold the shoulder lock. I can remember back in the day watching him in Lucha Underground. That meant you were done. You were pretty much dead. And it was frustrating to see, yes, Penta got some of his heat back after the match, but I would have much rather have seen Penta go over in this match. That way you can have a little bit more of a blood feud down the road whenever Cody's arm does recover. But again, overall, solid match, good opener. Just wasn't necessarily a fan of the of the finish. Then we get to the next match of the card, Jade Cargill taking on Danny Jordan. And Jade Cargill, only her second match on Dynamite, the second time I've seen her in the ring, and she looked she looked pretty good. A little bit too much time, taunt spamming. But it definitely helped with the fact this was a quick match. Went about as expected. And I want to see more from her because there's a certain presence about her that if she's able to get all the basics down pat and be able to handle a lot of the technical aspects of it, I think she could very well be in the next 18 months to two years an AEW Women's Champion. If not that, then maybe going to WWE and making a run as an NXT Champion because she has that look. That I feel like not a lot of people are able to see these days. Like, I mean, it's definitely a Glamazon Beth Phoenix type, like type build. But she makes it look good, and she's able to improve. I think she has a chance to really be one of the top workers amongst the women's division, which is already pretty stacked. And I think we saw that especially later in the night. Then we get to MJF and his new stables promo explaining all the why of it all. And honestly, this was just amazing from start to finish. Tully started off mentioning how he wants to end his career with the Pinnacle, which is MGF's new stable name. And again, this is a big reason why I love MGF. It's the fact that they have gone just full bore into making sure he is the most detestable person you've ever met. Extremely well done in this role. Well placed pot shots by MGF towards Jericho's appearance. You know, his his chest basically having like a big old gap between it. It is weird, but that's basically what all happened. It was absolutely amazing to see that entire thing go down. And MGF looked like an absolute mega star. It's one thing to be MGF and you're in the inner circle, but no, creating your own group and having them look strong as hell and they actually do look like they could be a group that could very well win all the gold by the end of the year. Because I think MGF is due for a world title reign in 2021, and then FTR is going to wind up probably win the titles back down the road. And the final bit of stuff, I think Wardlow has a chance to be the TNT champion. because He fits. He just absolutely has, again, it's not like Jay Cargill, has that look that makes me want to see more of him. Then we get to 
a 10-man tag team match with Matt Hardy, Private Party, Butcher and Blade taking on the Jurassic Express in Bear Country. And we heard Jungle Boy's music absolutely popped. Again, I love the fact they're doing this. Give me Walk the Dinosaur whenever Luchasaurus appears on Dynamite. That's just kind of where I'm at on this. And it was fine. This is a match I was kind of just was in and out of. And it was fine. Sets up a new feud potential between Hardy's group and Jurassic Express. And also maybe Jurassic Express and Bear Country could have a few to hash out their differences. And Hardy wound up getting the win for the team after Private Party hit Marco with the gin and juice. And then he hit the twist of fate for the three count after the match Jurassic Express, Bear County, arguing again. For the most part, the matches outside of, you know, the first one and the last one weren't necessarily that amazing. Then we get to backstage, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston cutting a promo and Moxley made me pop, bringing up the fact how he hated talking shop mania. Very well done. And again, another reason why I love Moxley's gimmick and Eddie Kingston just absolutely crushes it as per the usual. In the promo realm. He's one of the best guys on the mic. And you have Kingston who does a great job as well. So you got to love that. But then we get to John Moxley, Eddie Kingston versus the Good Brothers. And the Good Brothers immediately attacked the two before the match. And this was solid. Probably the best I've seen from Gallows Anderson since they've left the WWE. Moxley won via roll-up, but it was all about getting the heat back. Good Brothers start just demolishing Moxley. Kenny comes out. And then they attack, and Kingston attacks Omega, and then the Good Brothers hit the Magic Killer on him and then pulmonize his leg. Basically, they put the chair around the ankle. They jump off the top rope and break it. And they almost do the same thing to Kenny Omega, or no, excuse me, John Moxley. But the Young Bucks stop him from ending a man's career. And the Bucks walk away from Callus and crew because of their frustration with the group's tactics, which honestly I agree with it, but I love the fact they actually pulled this off. And I really didn't care about Sting's interview segment for the umpteenth time. That said, you know, that's for a lot of reasons. Because I get tired of seeing it every single week, and it really doesn't do anything. He barely talks. Because somebody's going to wind up coming out and interrupting the whole thing. This go-round, I liked it. Dare say I loved it. Because of two different things. And it's the fact that, one, you had Darby put together a great promo saying he wants to be a fighting champion to honor Brody, and more importantly, that could set up a feud between any member of the Dark Order and Darby, which would be great, but also set up Lance Archer and Darby Allen, which would be a fun feud as well, the David and Goliath-type stuff we saw with Brian Cage. And speaking of which, Team Taz comes out. Taz is talking all kinds of mess, but Brian Cage wants to speak, and he has a lot to get off his chest, and mentions that he respects staying after the street fight a few weeks ago at AEW Revolution. And honestly, I like it. I love the fact they did this, because Cage, I think, works better as a babyface, and this is a good step in the right direction. Right after that, Ray Phoenix squashes and Helico with these... I skipped this match, because to be honest with you, more interested in what happened in the main event. And it's a lights-out match. Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker. This means no disqualification. Unsanctioned. I was an unsanctioned. I don't know why. But an unsanctioned match between these two, really well done. Reba immediately attacks Rosa before she even gets in the ring. Britt takes momentum immediately with an air raid cat crash onto the entryway for two. This is within opening like minute. Rosa smashes Baker with a chair a couple times before the fight goes into the crowd. 
She misses the rolling senton onto Baker, and then Baker takes over, and they kind of get back to ringside. And then Rosa's crawling up the steps, and all of a sudden, you see Baker stomp her head into the steps. And we're only like five minutes into the match, and she's busted open as they go to picture in picture. They come back from break. Rosa and Baker hit a superplex on a stack of chairs. Thunder winds up getting Britt Baker busted wide open with a big drop kick on the ladder, which looked absolutely brutal as hell. And this match ruled. Like I love a little bit of hardcore wrestling, and this was a prime example of hardcore wrestling done right. Britt Baker drenched in blood at one point. Looked like she just absolutely was gushing. Maybe it was a bad blade job or what have you, but this was so damn good. All of a sudden, they break out the thumbtacks in here. Reba goes through a table that was set up. And all and then Baker gets put onto the thumbtacks by the day. Oh, I couldn't believe that. The fact you had Baker hit a get hit with a power bomb onto the thumbtacks. She kicks out a two. Rose eventually wins with the fire thunder driver. Bar none, a match of the year contender in my eyes, and I can't think we're going to see any better women's match all year long than the match between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. This was so damn good, and I think it proves that I think Rosa is going to be a definite women's wrestler of the year based off of what she's done and what she did over the weekend, which we'll talk about a little bit. Really solid show, though, overall. Continue to push storylines, also create new stuff that gets us interested and also will get us to the end of the line for the next pay-per-view in terms of double or nothing. Another reason why I love how AEW does things, because unlike the WWE, where they've got to put together a monthly pay-per-view or maybe multiple in one month, they let the stories breathe and stretch out over three, four months, and that works so much better than the way WWE's been doing it for the past about 20 years. All right, it's the Cajun Strong Cell Podcast. Appreciate you listening and however you're doing so. And by the way, we're available all throughout your favorite podcast gimmicks like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, even through the TuneIn app. And also the free 1037 Game mobile app. You can check us out there as well. 1037game.com is about 50, 11 ways to check us out. And we appreciate you if you're doing so. But let me kind of get to something else besides the sport of pro wrestling for a moment. Let me kind of basically pull a landstorm. If I can be serious for a minute, because we've got some big announcements concerning what's coming up for WrestleMania week. Because we're about three weeks out. It is time to make the announcements concerning the biggest show of the year and the biggest week in the history of our great sport of professional wrestling. So we're going to drop podcasts damn near every single day, except for Sunday, because we're going to do a major, massive Monday Mania recap the night after. We're going to do it the day after, drop it, and I think you're going to love it. So here's our plan for WrestleMania week, which is going to be starting on Monday, which will be on February the 5th, on April the 5th, excuse me. So on April 5th, we're going to start Mania Week off right with a regular old podcast. Might have some surprises in there, but trust me, it's be a regular old podcast. We're going to have fun with it. Then Tuesday, we're going to have 
a special, I say bonus pod. Then again, all these are kind of going to be bonuses, but they'll be regular episodes nonetheless. Tuesdays is going to be my top five favorite WrestleManias of all time. That'll be on April the 6th. Then on April the 7th, we're doing Mania Predictions. Getting some people on. I'm in contact with these guys as we speak. We're going to try and tape that on Tuesday to go ahead and drop on Wednesday. Or maybe we'll tape it on Wednesday and drop it that day. Who knows? All about how their schedule works and how my schedule works as well. Then we get to Thursday. Thursday is the interesting one because I have this written down as AEW NXT recaps. I think this will be strictly an AEW Dynamite show and also kind of spending some time looking at some other shows of note from the indie scene because, again, it's WrestleMania week and WrestleMania weekend is going to have a ton of fun stuff. Maybe we'll also get into some Hall of Fame thoughts as well. We'll kind of figure this out as we go along because it's a busy week. We'll also do NXT TakeOver Nights 1 and 2 on Friday, trap of the regular old work week. But Saturday, we've got a very special one for me that I'm wanting to do. In fact, I'm getting around to watching these before the network goes away. And this will drop on Saturday, the night, the day of WrestleMania, this will drop. A retro review of the final Nitro slash Raw simulcast 20 years later, 20 years almost to the day. It was on Friday, technically. On Friday, April the 9th, was when WCW's final breath was exhaled. So we're going to look back at that. And I'm honestly just looking forward to the fact of being able to do the retro review. Now, I've heard a lot of different podcasts do this umpteen million times. But Nitro holds a special place in my heart for a lot of different reasons. And I'll explain that a lot more in the pot. But we're going to probably, that's going to be much more of a taped ahead of time and dropped on Saturday morning. Perfect time to kind of look back. And then obviously, the following Monday, we're going to do a Night After Mania podcast. We're going to do WrestleMania recap nights one and two. And I'll definitely kind of get into full details on that. But again, just to recap. We'll have a regular podcast on the Monday of WrestleMania week. Top five manias, mania predictions, AEW, AEW recap, and also maybe a little look, see at what's going on in the sport of professional wrestling on the independent side that week in the Tampa, Florida area. And NXT TakeOver Nights 1 and 2 recap, Stand and Deliver, looks to be a really good show. We'll talk about that. And then on Saturday, the final Nitro 20 years later, We'll kind of do a little retro review of that. Can't believe it's been 20 years since WCW went under. Highly recommend you check it out. Again, it'll be available on all the podcast gimmicks in the world. And seriously, it is available like damn near every place. I was so glad over the weekend to see that this was on Google Podcasts. We had some issues getting up there, but glad to see finally Cajun Strong Style. Is on is on Google Podcast. So if you type in Cajun Strong Style Podcast, you actually see the latest episode, which is this one. But again, appreciate you listening in on this Monday, March twenty second. Now let's get to it for the attack. And this was something I didn't necessarily feel like I was going to wind up being able to catch, but I did. I was able to catch it live, and this was a damn 
good show from top to bottom. Mind you, there's one moment in particular I'll get to in a minute that I didn't like. But for the most part, everybody kind of liked it. I'm going to go ahead and pull up the poll results that we have up on Cajun Strong Style on Twitter, which, by the way, you can follow us at Cajun Strong Style, C-A-J-N Strong Style, because it's just too long to put on there. But I do it every single show. Every show that I watch and I kind of review live, I go ahead and get your takes. I want to get your thoughts on the shows. And overall, thumbs up. 90% thumbs up. The other 10% were thumbs in the middle. Match of the night, according to a lot of people, was the main event. Nick Aldis taking on the former Damian Sandow, now known as Aaron Stevens. I'll get to the, that match probably a little bit later. But overall, it was pretty one-sided. 27% of the vote went to Rosa Camille, which was really damn good. And then Pope versus Tom Latimer got 18%, which was solid. A lot of people were divisive on the finish. I'll get to that as well in this NWA Back for the E Attack recap. They had a really solid opener between Slice Boogie, Jordan Clearwater, Jax Dane, and Crimson. I mentioned this in last week's pod when I talked about some of the card for the first show back. I hadn't heard much about the competitors outside of Crimson, to be honest with you. He was okay in TNA slash Impact Wrestling. But I liked what I saw from some of the competitors. And Slice Boogie was one of those. He had a breakout performance here. He was the winner with what he calls the dead-ass driver on Jordan Clearwater. Again, didn't know a whole hell of a lot, but I was sports entertained here. That's all that matters when it comes right down to it. We go from being sports entertained to probably the equivalent of ambient in sports entertainment. And we're not talking about Ethan Page. We're talking about Tyrus. And I haven't seen Tyrus wrestle in a long time. The man needs to just retire. Go back to Fox News or go to Camp Hope and get your butt in shape thanks to Tony Perkis and the Perkis, Perkis method. Because he looked worse and less mobile than the great Kali. At times, I thought great Kali was more mobile than Tyrus, the former Brodus Clay. He is gassed within two freaking minutes. Of this match, it was a slog the rest of the way. He won with a running elbow. What the hell? Made his opponent look like a bit of a geek. And again, I didn't need to see this match. I sat there. I'm like, okay, this was not what I wanted to see. This was the exact opposite of what I wanted to see in pro wrestling. This was sports underwhelmed. Worst match in the night, bar none. Then we get to the NWA TV Championship match. The Pope taking on Tom Latimer. Really liked this finish. Yes, it was kind of hokey, but the fact that they were establishing the new rule of the time limit draw, you establish that as, hey, hey, you want to win, you got to try and get the finish in early. Because now it's 10.05 versus the old 6.05 rule. I like the fact they established that. But this was... Very solid and reminded me how good Burke was back in WWE Impact Wrestling. Yes, he's the Pope. I know him a little more as D'Angelo De Niro. They had just a really solid match and it reminded me of all that. And that's a great thing. It's like, yes, nostalgia sometimes blinds you a little bit. But man, oh man, early 2010s Pope was so damn good. Especially like, I'd say eight, like 2009, his debut until... 
like midway through the first year of Hogan in TNA. He was pretty good. Then we get to a number one contenders match for the NWA Women's Championship. This is where things start to pick up a little bit. Thunder Rosa versus Camille. And let me say this. The main commentary team, fine. The backstage interviewer was reading from a prompter, and it was obvious. And then Tarantaro was the thing that happened on commentary. Apparently, she's back in wrestling. Apparently, the New Orleans native went to UNO, wants to get back in the wrestling ring. More power to her. I think she needs to not be on commentary or do promos because she honestly does not do them that well. And it was crazy. The match itself was awesome. Because Rosa, the big story was Rosa was just trying to out-wrestle and more importantly, going for the submissions on Camille. Fun to see that story be told throughout, and Camille just was never going to give up. And Camille eventually won the match after two spears, and I liked how the commentary team explained how Camille knew it would take more than one spear to get the job done, which is why she didn't go for the pin immediately after. She knew it was probably going to be a two-count, so instead, let's go ahead and hit two of them just to make sure. I say this is the match of the night for me on the show. Two straight great Thunder Rosa matches. Again, strong contender for Women's Wrestler of the Year. In my mind, you can try and prove me otherwise, but I think Thunder Rosa definitely deserves it. Now, the big question is, what's next for her? Because now she's not the number one contender. Camille got the win in a, again, really solid match. I think this was the last match we'll see of her inside the National Wrestling Alliance. And it'd be seeing Serena Deeb whenever she does recover, taking on Camille. Then we get to the NWA National Championship match. Trevor Murdoch defends his title against Chris Adonis. And this is fine. Like, it was very much like, oh, hey, these are guys from like 2007 Monday Night Raw. Okay, I'm going to check it out. But then you just realize like, it's not that great. It was an interesting finish with Murdoch countering the master lock, hitting a roll up to retain the title. But Adonis wound up brawling with Murdoch, hitting him with the master lock at the end, and to get, get his heat back. Kind of weird, but okay. Then we get to the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship match. Nick Aldis taking on Aaron Stevens, defending the title. He had a great promo at the beginning of the show, too. Not backstage, but ringside. Really good stuff from him. And it, he's definitely worked his role really well. And talking about Josephus, and this is all kind of a show paying tribute to him. Also paid a little tribute to Jim Crockett as well. But it was all about paying tribute to a man who passed away way too soon in Josephus. Really fantastic main event, just back and forth. I missed the ending of the match, but I wasn't surprised to see how it ended. I mean, the Cloverleaf wound up getting the win. Really good stuff there. Nick Aldis retains in his legendary week or his legendary reign continues. But I hope we can see Aaron Stevens get another shot down the road because he looked like he was holding his own alongside him. And that's a step in the right direction because Sandow, I think, I think for the most part, since WWE, just hasn't been the same guy. At least it's just where my opinion lies. Now let's get into WWE Fastlane. And my goodness, there's a lot to kind of unpack from that show. Overall, I think it was it was it was good. I think everybody on Twitter, again, I'm gonna go ahead and pull it up. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at C A J N Strong Style. That's C A J N Strong Style. You can check us out 
over there if you want to kind of hear our takes on the sport of pro wrestling or any like ridiculous memes that we have because we spent a lot of time last night talking with everybody and we appreciate a lot of the new followers that we have gotten and hey if you want to follow us make sure you go do so we're nearing 100 followers and the goal is i want to get to 100 followers by wrestlemania week because again we're gonna have like multiple episodes drop over the next few days once you get to wrestlemania week and i can't wait to do that so trust me you're gonna love this but the thoughts on Fastlane from the fan base, it is 56% with thumbs up, 22 thumbs down, 22 were firmly in the middle. I'm kind of the camp that was a thumbs up, if not for like a, like, I'd say almost Orange Cassidy thumbs up. It's not quite great, not quite bad, but it's helped by a lot of stuff that happened later on in the show. The undercard stuff, eh, I could live or live without. We start with the kickoff show. Mustafa Ali taking on Riddle for the United States Championship. He retains. It was a cool finish with Riddle hitting Bro Derek off of Brett's rope. Dangerous stuff right there, taking the bump off Brett's rope. But it was a really good match, good back and forth between these two. There was just one little nitpick I had. It was just a weird sequence with Riddle. He got the bro lock in, then Ali kind of rolled over and was trying to get a pin, but the rest spent a lot of time trying to see if Riddle's shoulders were down. You probably could have told... You probably could have been able to tell right away if his or if his shoulders were down for the count. Should have tried at least like waiting like a second or so. But this is like one of two or three times during the night I can remember seeing this. So after the match, Ali berates the group and asks him, how many times do I have to fail you? Reckoning walks away from the group and then slap nuts. I mean, slap jack follows suit. T-Bar and Mace had a double choke slam. They call it high justice. It's basically a sit-out double choke slam. And I sat there, I was like, that's Chronic's finisher. Because I remember watching, I, I never knew what the reference of Chronic was until much later. Again, I was young when WCW was going on, especially late WCW, which, ironically, I liked a lot. It's a big reason why I'm looking forward to doing a retro review of the Final Nitro. But I'm glad this angle is finally over, because it is just about damn time. It's made everybody else look worse. And I hope they do some form of like damage control and turn these people into actual characters with actual depth behind them rather than just, oh, hey, now we're we're good guys. That's not how I want to see this. It was just absolutely disappointing to see that. But yeah, was absolutely enjoying the overall show. The overall flow of everything was really good. And then we get to the main card. Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks facing off against... Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, the women's tag team champions for the WWE, not NXT now, which still bugs me, but I'm going to go ahead and let that slide. Cool note from Cole talking about Cena and Michaels were the only tag champs that face each other for the title at Mania. They lost in the night after, but still a really cool stat, to say the least. It was a good note to kind of keep an eye on it, because who knows, maybe... Bianca Belair and Sasha were actually going to win. But of course, you're teasing the bickering for different reasons. Solid match. Just really did not care for the match. Didn't care. Because I'm tired of seeing the women's champion involved in the women's tag title matches. It's gotten stale as hell. Stale is like week old bread stale. I don't need to see this. Wasn't my favorite thing in the world. Maybe you're in the same boat. 
But we got to see some really cool stuff in the finish. But it still was like, what the bleep is going on? Bianca's 450 splash is amazing. The way she was able to do this in virtually, like, like it was almost slow motion. That's how cool that was. And sometimes slow motion is awesome. If we're talking the Snyder Cut, not so much. I think we could do without a whole, without probably like a quarter of the stuff they did in slow motion. At least it's just my opinion. But then Reginald jumps on the apron to distract the ref as he's about to go for the count. Then Bianca and Sasha had a great tag team move, which was like a glam slam into almost like a GTS style move. And then she hits the bank statement on her, and she's just about to tap. And it was almost like, you remember the gif where it's Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt were tag teaming together that one time, and Roman hit a spear out of nowhere, just basically was was commanded to hit a spear, which looked just badass in and of itself, and Bray gets the win. This is basically what that was like if you screwed it up, because Bianca hurdles over the two of them, but just stops dead in her tracks, Instead of trying to hit Nia with something. And when she did, there was just nothing there. She no-sold it, pushed Belair onto Banks, and that was about it. You know, they start arguing, and Shayna gets a roll-up win. Makes Bianca look like a bit of a geek. And this should be a main event of night one of WrestleMania, if I'm honest with you. There's so much going for it. But now, I'm like, put it on the kickoff show. I don't care about this match anymore. It's not that great. And now it's just arguing. It's bickering angle. Didn't care for the match. Yes, it creates the fact that we got to see Sasha slap the tar out of her. Slap the tar of Bianca's mouth, which was cool. But it's like, do we really need it? Do we really need that to, to be on fast lane? We could have just done it on a random ass SmackDown and then Sasha turns heel and then we could see something going there. I don't think we needed this. We could have just had these two face off one and one even. Very unnecessary, at least in my book. And also, apparently, Peacock was a hot mess all night long. Big reason why I was I was glad I kept the network for at least a couple more weeks. I'm probably just gonna let it stick around till the end of the line because that's just how I'm gonna roll with it. They had no start from beginning feature. They didn't even have a rewind button in 2021. I texted it to a friend of mine. I was like, what the hell is going on where you don't have that? Makes you immediately feel like this Peacock thing is just going to be a hot mess express. Mind you, I don't normally rewind live TV, so I can live without that. But if I'm watching like a show I'm recording, I want to rewind from occasion. Not having that ability is kind of horse bleep and needs to be changed. Then we get to the Intercontinental title match. Big E defending against Apollo Crews. And this is like a 0-60 to 60 type match. They immediately start brawling. And then you see Big E hit Crews with a spear to the outside, which still looks rough. It's like a match that went from 0 to 100 in like 5 seconds. And I loved it. And the English shot, at one point, Big E did his splash on the apron where it was just solely focused on Big E. And he went up. And when he went down, you saw Apollo, and that looks really cool. And it's one of two instances where I was like, I give them a lot of hell with production. Kevin Dunn deserves all the hate. Bucky Beaver did at least two things good. I'll get to the other thing later on. But the angles they shot, some that spot was really great. 
And this is way shorter than I thought it would be. Lots of finisher counters at one point. Ends with a small package win for Big E, but you honestly couldn't tell. It's like the finish was very awkward. Don't know whose fault that was, but it's what happened. And after the match, Cruz got his heat back, beats Big E down, and hits a couple angle slams. I was hearing Olympic slam. No, it's called angle slam because the Olympics said, hey, let's not use that term for that move because this isn't, you know, actual amateur wrestling, which is a whole thing. And I kind of I kind of giggled that, not going to lie. Then we get to, you know, again, I like the ending of the match because now I want to see Cruz have a match at Mania, and you've got two nights. Put it on there. I'd love to see Big E lose to Paula Cruz at Mania because I think it's his time. He has absolutely turned his career around. He's no longer, you know, the, the smiling kind of geek babyface. He is kind of a badass. I'm not going to lie. And I love it. I love it, to be honest with you. But then we get to Matt Riddle. Oh, excuse me. Right before that, we had Braun Strowman Elias. And Elias is a complete Melvin. He gets power slammed within two seconds by Braun. It was a squash match. It was just, okay, this is cool. And then I started thinking about it. Braun Strowman is basically a train in 2021. Just think about that. You have the choo-choo train gimmick. I didn't need this. Just didn't. We could have just done without Shane O'Mac Braun Strowman feud. I like the stupid express. That's kind of funny. But outside of that, could care less about this feud. I could not care at all about it, to be honest with you. I wish it would just not be here. Then we go backstage. Matt Riddle's talk with Shinsuke about, you know, a potential idea he had. And he just starts rambling on and on, like this podcast sometimes. And all of a sudden, Matt Riddle brings up Cousin Skeeter. And I start laughing. He's like, did he just say Skeeter in 2021 and say Cousin Skeeter? A late 90s, early 2000s show that featured the big show. And I'm like, I really hope this is on like some streaming service in the next like six months. Because I want to rewatch Cousin Skeeter now. And I started cracking up the entire time. <laughs> it was just so dumb. And then all like, like Matt Riddle is just the worst kind of like stereotypical stoner character. It's like literally the exact opposite of what the Rascals were. Because the Rascals had a great like heel, like not heel, but a great comedy gimmick. As stoners. This is bottom of the barrel, like, PG level comedy. Again, it's a PG show, so it makes sense. But, come on now. That's not what we came for. At all. Then we get to Seth Rollins, Shinsuke Nakamura. A phenomenal match between these two. Rollins is a great throughout here. And Nakamura played his role really well. And Rollins, again, I love some of the spots they put together. He had a really cool, you know, sliding German suplex spot. I love that mat. Love that move a lot. And the way they put that together was really cool. It's the buckle bomb off of a Kinshasa attempt. But again, going back to the German suplex spot, he had, they had the camera angle for that. If you go watch it back, I loved it. Because again, it really spoke to the impact and the speed of that maneuver. And the way it was almost like just one continuous shot. And WWE hates to do those kind of things, but it worked. 
Rollins wound up up winning with the Stomp eventually. Really fun match between these two. They also had a really cool spot right before the Stomp. And it's basically, you know, Black Magic, which is a low-key move. And low-key got really mad about it. I'm sorry, low-key. You were kick-ass in TNA. But stop. Stay off Twitter for a bit, please. Just like Seth Rollins a few years ago or last year. Take some time away from Twitter, dude. And don't come back until you learn how to use the product and social media a little bit better. No holes barred match. Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre. And McIntyre comes out. I don't notice it right away, but all of a sudden, I'm like, Drew McIntyre is rocking the Braveheart war paint. He's cosplaying as William Wallace. I love that, to be honest with you. A little Braveheart reference in 2021. And if you saw the match a few weeks ago on Raw, this was the exact same damn thing. My God. So entertaining and hard-hitting as hell. Sheamus, early on, hits a bro kick on Drew. And you just hear it. Like, he hits him with, while the kendo sticks near his face. And almost, like, feels like it hides the slap of the leg, at least somewhat. He's, I mean, they have the slap of the leg, fine. And I don't know if it's just me, but do you ever pay attention to the leg slap spot? I don't think anybody does. To be honest with you, if it happens, like, Okay, he probably slapped his leg to make that sound effect. But, you know, is what it is. Then they start brawling out to the Thunderdome crowd. I like what they did at the Rumble. But they have a couple different spots in mind. McIntyre one time, one point, throws Sheamus through the LED boards where the Thunderdome fans are, and the sparks start flying everywhere. And I'm just going to say this. If there's one thing WWE needs to do with 2K22... It's at a Thunderdome arena with the virtual fans. I'm telling you, that would be awesome. And also make sure those kind of spots are available to us. Because that was badass. And again, like, I love when I play video games like that. And it's very much, you know, here comes the pain-esque. This is what that match felt like at times. Then at one point, Seamus hits White Noise off the barricade through the table. This is a lot of fun at this point. Sheamus grabs a piece of the announce table in the ring, and these two just start brawling. And then Drew gets the edge with the Future Shock DDT on the piece of wood and the Claymore for the win. For me, this was match of the night. I think a lot of people on the Twitterverse were a little bit differing of opinion, if you will, because people had a lot of different POVs on Fastlane. The match of the night for them was reigns Bryan overwhelmingly. I like that match, but I feel like Seamus McIntyre was just so much more hard-hitting, and I loved that one a lot more. Then we get to the match. I think everybody was interested to see how this was going to go. Alexa Bliss versus Randy Orton. Orton immediately starts spitting up the black goop while he's doing his pose at the corner, like right after he makes his entrance. Next thing you know, Alexa Bliss comes out with like a tribute to DJ Screw type music. Honestly, like that a lot too. Then we get to Bliss versus Randy Orton. The match gets started. And Bliss immediately makes a firewall fly up in the air as Orton goes for the attack. So damn cool. Again, this is immediately, you knew it was going to be kind of supernatural, spooky BS. But damn, if that wasn't entertaining. That was absolutely an amazing thing from start to finish. 
At one point, Alexa Bliss uses her mind powers to drop a light fixture, almost killing Orton. That was cool. The fire spot again. All of a sudden, the Fiend is back, and he is burnt to a crisp. God, I loved the visuals. Everything about it. Perfect. Wonderful. He had Sister Abigail, then Alexa Bliss gets in a missionary position. Or gets, no, excuse me, cowgirl, listen to me. He gets in that position. She gets in that position and gets the win. Exactly what I wanted to be. Now give us Firefly Funhouse 2 or 2 Firefly 2 Funhouse. Give me that sequel for the love of God. Then we get to the Universal Championship match for the main event. Edge is a special enforcer. Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns squaring off once again. Almost five years after their match at Fastlane. I think that was the first ever Fastlane in 2015. So it's about six years ago. Really cool stuff. And then a good story early on with Brian just trying to out-wrestle Roman. Instead of kind of dealing with the fire and the, and the power of Roman, it was all about him trying to out-wrestle him. Roman takes over pure strength alone. Brian keeps fighting back. Brian almost gets Roman Reigns to tap, but he gets out of it. Later on, we get a ref bump with Brian hitting the running knee on the ref after Reigns moves out of the way, and Roman hits the spear for a two-count. After Edge takes over as the ref, even though it probably would have been a five or six count, but Edge just wanted to make sure where he was and he was ready to go. Next thing you know, Brian gets the yes lock in and he is like milliseconds away from getting Roman Reigns to tap, but Jey Uso saves the day, super kicking Edge and Brian. Then Brian just destroys Jay with the steel chair, but then hits Edge in the shoulder instead, whether when he goes for Reigns. Then Roman hits Superman punch. Brian counters the spear again into the yes lock. And Roman is like barely tapping on Brian. Edge, instead of calling for the bell, he hits Edge with the chair out of frustration, saying that this is his. And he walks out of the ring incredibly frustrated. Roman slumps over to pin Brian to win the Universal title and in the show. Again, thumbs up for me. Undercard, underwhelming. Definitely didn't need a couple of those matches. But the final three or four made up in spades for how good this show was overall. I mean, the main event was awesome. But I feel like the Sheamus-McIntyre match got a little bit more over for me because I enjoyed that one a little bit more. And it didn't suck all the energy out of me, those first two matches. So it was like it was all building the right way. I just feel like they could have probably added a few more minutes to Big E, Apollo Crews, and had a little bit more of a conclusive finish. But I'm not complaining. One final bit of stuff. We'll get to some UFC news because earlier this, or Friday actually, we had some big news in the world of MMA with Khabib Nurmagomedov retiring on top. Or instead of say a certain someone doing what he should have done months ago, acknowledge that he was truly retired. And that's Dana White. Now I'm going to rant here for a little bit and it'll sound like I'm rooting for the hometown guy. To a certain extent I am, but I also feel like what they're doing is the wrong way to go about it. Because if you're going to crown a new champion, you have the two best in the division duke it out. You have rankings for a reason, and the decision that was made flies directly in the face of that idea. This comes from Brett Akamoto of ESPN, saying Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira will face off for the UFC lightweight title at UFC 262 on May 15th, one of the first shows they're going to have with fans in the arena. If I'm not mistaken. 
Like the matchup. Chandler's a former Bellator lightweight champion, made an immediate impact in his debut at UFC 257 in the semi-main, beating Dan Hooker very early in the first round. Oliveira, very hot, eight-fight win streak, dating back to June 9, 2018. It still doesn't make a lick of sense, though, to me, that we're seeing the guys who are ranked third and fourth in the official rankings fighting for the belt. We could get Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje a little bit further down the road as a one versus two. Or better yet, like I mentioned a while back, make it a tournament. Who doesn't love tournaments? That'd be great. But we get this. Because the UFC is more focused on putting together the Poirier-McGregor fight this year. Why do we really need to see Poirier-McGregor 3? Six months after we saw Poirier-McGregor 2. I understand there's money on the line. But damn it, this is frustrating. Because according to Ariel Holani, again, of ESPN, The hope is that we get the fight on July 10th. There was a hope that the fight will take place on UFC 262's card, but couldn't reach an agreement. June 12th, apparently off the table too, but he's got Figueredo taking on Moreno for the flyweight title. That's also on that card. So yeah, that can't happen. Is what it is. But going back to what I was saying, couldn't you just had McGregor get a fight against someone else like a Dan Hooker or hell, even give him Michael Chandler for an opportunity to be the number one contender the next go-round. And then you could have McGregor Poirier 3 in 2022 because at the end of the day, if you have two matches six months apart in the UFC, I don't think you're going to see too much different in terms of the in-ring capacity and capability of what's going on with the pro wrestling world. In terms of UFC, I just was frustrated when I saw that. I mean, come on now. This is just a wee bit ridiculous. I don't need to see a trilogy fight six, seven months after the first match in January. I don't think he's going to change that much and look that much different. Just my opinion. But that's the Cajun Strong Style Podcast for you. Appreciate you listening in. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a review, five stars. If you like it, six stars if you're in the Tokyo Dome. We'll talk to you next time. Enjoy the wrestling. Talk to you next week.